The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 8th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. And grace and Peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure you've heard this piece of advice before. The grass isn't always greener on the other side, right? In my opinion, this is the kind of advice that you give to someone when you have no good advice to give. It just sounds good, right? In fact, I remember when I was leaving my first call, I had someone pull me aside and say this very thing to me. You know, Pastor... The grass isn't always greener on the other side, which is an odd thing to say to a person going to serve in another congregation, a bit passive-aggressive, and I still haven't fully figured out what they meant by saying it, but people just say this. And like anything that sounds even remotely inspirational, it's been turned into countless memes and, and, and posters to inspire. And I did a Google search this last week of this particular phrase just to see how common it is in our nomenclature. And as it, it turns out, people have taken it upon themselves to, to flesh it out a little bit further, added an extra little part to really wrap it up into a nice bow. So, so here's a few of, few of the ones I found. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. Okay. The grass isn't always greener on the other side because sometimes it's fake. Sure. My favorite, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, so before jumping the fence, check out the lawn. What does that mean? Can someone answer that for me? I sat there just puzzled as I stared at my computer trying to figure out, because I was unsure what that even meant. But the one thing I am sure is that today, 
Our gospel begins with Jesus going to the other side, to the grass on the other side of the sea. And with questions still lingering there of who this man is, after he's calmed the waters of the sea themselves, he steps foot in Gentile territory, in the land of the Gerizines. And the moment, the moment he steps foot on dry land, he is met. Met by a man who is possessed by not one or two demons, but a legion of demons. A legion being between four and six thousand. This man isn't just possessed. He is like super possessed. And yet, the man immediately is able to answer the very question that's lingering in there. Who is this man, Jesus? Well, the possessed man immediately recognizes and says, this is the Son of God Most High. In other words, this man possessed is able to identify who Jesus is better than Jesus' own disciples at this point. But the complexity of the story doesn't end there. This man, because of his his possession, is now living among the tombs, not in a home. Indeed, this man has been shackled up and kept under close watch, I assume for fear of him harming himself or others, although the story doesn't seem to imply there's any real risk at this man's presence. And that, you see, is what makes those first requests that he makes to Jesus such a heartbreaking request. Upon identifying who Jesus is, his first request is, do not torment me. Why? Because this man's been tormented. This man has been tormented by a legion of demons who's taken over his very body, a frightening thing to say the least. But this man has also been tormented by a society unable to figure out what to do with such a person. So they do what they figure is best. They lock him up and push him aside and make him live in the unclean places, make him live among the dead, because we certainly don't want him anywhere near us and the living. And it's with this backdrop that Jesus does what Jesus do. Jesus talks to the demons. Then Jesus permisses them to then go and possess this sword, this herd of swine. I almost said sword of hind. That's not right. Herd of swine. That's the right version. And then that swine hurls itself off the cliff. Now, then and only then, do the people from the Gerizines, from the country, come to check out what's going on. And I assume they send with them their insurance adjusters because these swine herders just lost their entire livelihood in the process. And they show up. And you want to know what they, what they find? They find this man possessed, now fully clothed. This man, who they're used to seeing living among the dead, is now sitting at the very feet of their Lord and Savior, a, a place of, of great honor and importance throughout Scripture. And they find him in his right mind. And yet, you want to know what the response is? Fear. They are afraid of what they see, because what they see is not what they expect. And just dwell with that for a moment. Think about that. They are afraid of this man restored. Jesus is finding out 
that maybe the grass isn't always greener on the other side. They fear this man possessed by a legion of demons less than they fear the man who healed him miraculously. The people were less afraid of this man who they shackled up in the tombs than they are of this man that is the son of the God Most High, bringing peace, healing, and salvation. Indeed, these people like the grass they know more than the grass they don't, which is often the case for us. We like the troubles we know because we know them. We're afraid of that which is unknown to us, which is where I think some of this origins of this grass isn't always greener thing comes. We like the messes we're familiar with. We don't want to risk what messes might lie once we climb the fence, for example. And that's so very true in this story. And this, in my opinion, is a story that really is all about identity. Certainly it begins with the identification of who Jesus really is, the son of the God most high, but it's also a restoration of identity. This man isn't just healed from what ails him. This man's identity is restored and therefore his place in society, his place in community. He now has an opportunity not to live among the tombs, but perhaps in his home among the living for the first time. An identity such an important part of the world in which we live. Even more so, perhaps, in this Pride Month, a month where we celebrate those who identify as part of the LGBTQIA community, a community that in our country has been marginalized over the years because they identify differently than how we expect. So I think that echoes as I hear this story this day. But what I hear echoing, too, is the epilogue to the story. Something unique to Luke's telling of this particular miracle, of this particular exorcism. Where this man restored makes a request. And his request is simple. He wants to follow Jesus. In other words, he wants to become a disciple. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. Can't blame the guy. Would you want to return to the community that didn't know what to do with you and so they decided to shackle you up among the tombs? (laughs) Probably not. I know I wouldn't want to go back. Jesus does something curious. Rather than take with him disciple number 13, which is an unlucky number anyway, we don't want that, Jesus says, no, no, go back to your people and tell them what God has done for you. And you know what the guy does? He does just that. In other words, this guy is sent out. He's not a disciple. He's made into an apostle, an apostle to the Gentiles. And in many ways, this sets up the future acts of the apostles, which are going to cross these very same boundaries, go from the territory that is safe to the grass on the other side into Gentile territory. This man is laying that foundation. And this text is a reminder that just because the grass isn't greener on the other side doesn't mean we shouldn't go to the other side. That's the whole point of Jesus' ministry, is going to the other side because maybe on the other side the grass isn't greener and we have something to offer. Jesus' entire ministry is about transgressing boundaries. Boundaries like clean and unclean, sin and righteousness, life and death. And as those 
who claim Christ as our name through the waters of baptism, as Christians, we too are called and sent out. Sent out into the world to do the same, to tell people of God's power and to share the power of God's love. This last week, we did just that. In this very space, we had Vacation Bible School. And we welcomed into this space people from other places. Crossing the boundary of our congregation, we welcomed in our friends from Holy Trinity down the street in Lombard. And we didn't just cater to the needs of the children present in our congregation. We literally opened our doors to the wider community, 55 or so kids in all, with one purpose, to celebrate God's light and love in this world to remind these children, even for two hours a night, for four nights, that they are loved. And that if they do one thing in their life, it's to know they're loved and to share that love with the world. But you see, our call to be apostles, our call to be sent out, it ain't that easy. It's not just eight hours a year and then we can pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we did it. We were successful, right? And in a lot of ways, it's not as easy as welcoming people into our space always, too. That's the easy part, welcoming people in. The hard part is going out. And I think that's our challenge now as apostles, is to consider how is it that we are sent into the community to ensure that all people are free to be a part of Christ's community. And I say that word very intentionally, that word community. Because I think that's where the church is heading. We can dress up in robes and and worship. We can do all of these traditional things. But if we aren't building genuine community centered around Christ's love for all people, dear, dear people, what are we doing? That's our goal. That's how the church has made and that's how the church will survive is by creating community that welcomes all people. Which is even more poignant on a day where we celebrate the liberation of black people in our country. But again, dear people, the work isn't over. Because just because we say people are liberated doesn't mean that we have fully welcomed everyone yet. And that is our work. That is where we are called, and that is where we are sent. To be a word of God's liberating love for the community that we may build God's loving community here. So thanks be to God for the ways that we do it, whether it be on a Monday night or a Sunday morning or any time. Amen.